This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. I would like to acknowledge that the Militantly Mixed podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Chumash and the Tongva people, and I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine, the busiest mixed race bisexual polyamorous atheist comic book nerd cat mom podcaster in this podcasting game. This is a very special episode of Militantly Mixed because I was invited to participate as a podcaster with UC Berkeley's Mixed at Berkeley's organization's Mixed Month for the month of October 2020. Mixed at Berkeley is a organization that specializes in the recruitment and retention of mixed identifying students of color at UC Berkeley. And I really just have to say that I am so excited and jealous, which you'll hear me talk about in the episode, that there are so many mixed race student organizations. And Mixed at Berkeley reached out to me to participate in doing an episode of Militantly Mixed as part of their roster for the month. I got a chance to sit down with Sage, one of the directors at Mixed at Berkeley, and we had a great time. We even discovered that we are from the same town of Long Beach, California, and we went to rival high schools, even though I'm much older than she is. (laughs) Uh, We had an awesome conversation, and I'm glad to have learned more about Mixed at Berkeley in addition to getting to hear yet another story from a fellow mixed cousin in the world. It is such an honor to be involved with so many mixed student organizations now through Militantly Mixed. I want to be an advocate for y'all. I want to be a place that you can come as an extra resource. I want to help join you to other organizations throughout universities and colleges. However, I have contact and can be helpful. I would love to. And in getting a chance to sit down with a couple of people from the Mixed at Berkeley organization, I really get the sense that The future is going to be bright in terms of creating safe spaces on college campuses and university campuses for mixed identified students to feel whole. I think that is something that a lot of us miss growing up because we don't really understand our full cultural heritages and how they impact our identities. And I think with these organizations, you will start to see far more empowered mixed young adults entering the workforce and and life feeling completely grounded in their mixedness and also knowing that they have a tribe. Thank you so much, Mixed at Berkeley, for allowing me to participate in your Mixed Month. And without further ado, please help me in welcoming our latest cousin to the Militantly Mixed family, Sage.
All right. I was invited to participate in UC Berkeley's Mixed Month for the month of October. And through that, we are doing a regular episode of Militantly Mixed with a guest from the actual university. So I would like to welcome my guest today, Sage. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell everybody what we're doing here? Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me on your show. My name is Sage. I am currently a third year at UC Berkeley. I'm studying psychology, and I am mixed. <laughs> <laughs> that felt good to say, didn't it? <laughs> that felt really good, yes. Um, I am Black, White, Native American. My dad is Louisiana Creole, and my mom is White and Indigenous. All right. And do you, um, how much do you know about all of the things that you're mixed with? Oh, it's it's kind of, it's a lot. <laughs> I'm mixed with a lot of different things. Yeah. Uh, I wish I knew a little bit more about my Creo side. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something more that I just experienced and that's just like my reality. Sure. Uh, the things that I appreciate about the Creole culture is our food, such as gumbo, mm-hmm. a lot of different Southern foods, the music we listen to, Zydeco music, mm-hmm. um, my big, beautiful mixed family. And then uh, my mother's side is a little bit interesting. So she's actually adopted by two white people. (laughs) But uh, she, racially, she is indigenous and white. So on her side of the family, I'm exposed to white culture. Whereas my dad's side of the family, I'm exposed to Louisiana Creole culture. Okay. Um, So with your mother being transracial, did she have any access? Did she, did they help her find her roots or anything like that or connect to the people that she was adopted from? Uh, No. Hmm. I mean, that's a pretty Mm -hmm. regular story. (laughs) Unfortunately not. Um, Actually, she didn't know racially what she was up until recently when Ancestry.com became popular and available. Okay. That's when, yeah, growing up, I had no idea what she was. I mostly connected to my dad's side of the family. Mm-hmm. And that's how I would explain people like what racially I am was through my dad because I didn't know what my mom was. Mm-hmm. So I like to describe myself as hierarchically mixed because of the exposure that I had to my mm-hmm. various heritages. I grew up predominantly black and specifically hood black. And then next I was Japanese because my mom's side of the family, I was around my grandma a lot. And then technically, though half white, I don't know and many white people in my family. I know one, and she's a British lady, and she's me. Um, she's my grandmother <laughs> on my dad's side. Um, and, and so, like, I describe myself as, as mixed, but black first, and then Japanese. And, and then I acknowledge that I'm Caucasian British, but without, with the exception of a couple little cultural things that I was brought up with, um, it's really hard to identify as white. looking the way that I look and growing up the way that I did, there just weren't white people around. In your case, um, because you did grow up predominantly around your dad's side of the family, how big of an influence was the Louisiana Creole compared to, I want to say, general, you know, non-Louisiana Blackness? Yes. Uh, I'd say growing up, I knew that I was Creole. I would explain to myself, like, I remember in elementary school, I would have to explain that I am Creole. Like, that's my identity. My family is very proud of their heritage and their roots, and they Mm -hmm. raised me to believe the same about myself. 
I would say it had a very big impact on my identity. My culture is mostly, yeah, I don't really identify with my mom's side of the family at all. I'd say everything that um, I've been exposed to is through Creole culture, which is, you know, big families, gatherings of us listening to Zydeco music. I've been to Louisiana a few times to visit my family out there. So that tends to be a big part of our story as mixed people. You know, we get access to what we get access to, and it's sometimes filtered through. Um, so it seems with Louisiana Creole, you're kind of mixed and like multi-generationally mixed. And then on top, but then you still have like the identity of Creole, you know, like that is mm-hmm. at play at the same time that there is your Creole because of mixedness. It's mm-hmm. just that it's just been filtered down. So it's a very interesting part of mixed culture when your your ethnicity itself is a mixed yes. ethnicity. Like, like, cause you could be like you are Louisiana Creole, which is its own thing, but also mixed with white or also mixed with black, even though that's in the, th- the other thing that you're in. So it's a, it's really different compared to other aspects of mixedness that a lot of other people experience, you know, black, white, biracial, Asian, white, biracial. In my case, I'm triracial. And depending on where I'm in the country, I make code like I'm Creole or Dominican or, or you know, some other ethnic group that is a, a product of mixedness. And yet never my own, like no one ever looks at me and is like, hey, you must be black and Japanese and white. You know, like that's never, <laughs> <laughs> like that's never going to happen. So it's an interesting aspect of your specific mix because it's its own thing. And it is a product of mixedness. I would love to be able to figure out what it is I'm trying to say with that, but I, <laughs> it's just an interesting part of culture and, and, how, and how you gain access. So did you grow up in California or? Yes, I grew up in Long Beach, California. Oh, I'm from Long Beach too. Okay. What school did you go to? I went to Long Beach Poly. Okay, I went to Jordan. Hey, we're like rival high school. Yeah, we were. Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. I didn't know. So that's like the example of like my specific blackness, right? Is that although my uh, black family is from uh, Louisiana and Texas, they were here in California. So I grew up in Long Beach. So my black influence is North Long Beach hood blackness, which isn't necessarily the same kind of blackness that my people come from. It's just, it's, it's my cultural identifier, though, because that's how I grew up. And Polly, for pretty much almost everybody I know from Long Beach to this day that went to, to Polly, it's the same type of thing. Like, our neighborhoods were kind of similar, and I mean, clearly we're from the same city, just different parts, and that, that hood blackness is, is just a part of it. Is, do you, so how do you, do you identify with it? Do you connect with it? Or, or is it mostly the focus is on your, your Creole heritage? I'd say um. I mean, I definitely have, like, experiences with that because that's, like, the people I was, like, surrounded with, like, growing mm-hmm. up with. But um, I'd say I'd mostly identify with my Creole side, mostly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is it specifically that you feel the most, like, oh, this is me, this is my people related to, to how you grew up? Oh, my people. Um, I come from a really big family. My dad is Creole on both sides. His mom's side of the family, they're from New Orleans, and then her dad's, or his dad's side of the family is from uh, the country. And on both sides, is just a lot of cousins. I feel mm-hmm. like growing up 
I, uh, I always was playing with my cousins. I always had family functions. I always had a birthday party. So those are the people that I grew up with as well. And I think because we all had that same uh, identity, like similarity that we're all Creo, that that's just something that I've, um, that's really just like stuck with me and just been like a big part of my identity, like to this day. But um, besides my family, I'd say like the friends I grew up with we're mostly white, primarily. Mm. I I don't know if it was because of my mom's side of the family being white that that's like who I was like drawn to like interacting with. But I remember in elementary school, my two best friends throughout like my whole entire um my whole entire like education, like kindergarten through fifth grade, were two blonde hair, blue eyed white girls <laughs> named uh, Chloe and Grace. <laughs> two very basic names. <laughs> I also went to a white elementary school in Long Beach. I went to Emerson. Okay, I went to... Oh, Emerson, yeah. yeah. I went to Longfellow, located in Bixby Knowles. Okay, right. I'm familiar with that area. It's so weird. I don't get to talk to many people. I still live in L.A. now, or I live in L.A. now. I've moved around the country a bunch, but I, I very rarely get to, to actually sit down and talk to other uh, folks from Long Beach. But oh. when it happens, it's just, it's just like instant... Yeah, like, like a tribe situation in the same way that I think as mixed people, I'm always searching for that, too. Like every time I find mixed people, it doesn't matter what you're mixed with. I'm just like, oh, we're the same. Um, mm-hmm. I do. I do feel that sense of, of kinship with, with other mixed people. So as you maneuver through your university life, which I know this year is a lot different than what you've been experiencing since you're a third year at UC Berkeley. How are you maneuvering as a mixed person in school? Well, um, going to UC Berkeley, so we're both from Long Beach, which is a pretty diverse um, city. There's a pretty high black population, um, Asian population, white population, Mexican population. And um, arriving like on campus, I was kind of surprised to not see the like diversity I'm used to seeing. My first year was kind of a struggle because I was taking STEM classes which are notoriously um, competitive. Mm-hmm. And I would find myself to be the only, you know, person of color in a large lecture hall, like 500 plus people. Mm. I'm just seeing, uh, I'm just observing that I feel like I'm an outsider, you know? Right, right. The diversity on campus is... Uh, Something that's been an issue for a while. I believe this year they've only admitted 3% of the Black students that applied. Mm. Um, Yeah. But uh, so navigating um, as a mixed student was very challenging for my first year. Then I found this organization called Mixed at Berkeley. And I was like, this is the place for me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It was a space where I found other students who uh, were like me. They were mixed. They felt themselves were uh, kind of outsiders in this uh, large uh, university as well. Mm -hmm. And I got to bond with other students. And we got to talk about our experiences coming from um, a mixed background. And it was just a really... uh, a really positive space for me to be in. That's awesome. And I, yeah, and um, I made a lot of great friendships through it, and now I actually work for them. My job is to 
try to recruit and retain other mixed students so the campus can look a little bit more like me and you. Right, right. I mean, so first of all, I'm completely jealous that this (laughs) exists now, but I'm also so excited that right now is a time when this is possible. Through the show, I've connected with a, a number of different mixed student organizations at various colleges and universities, and it's just like, oh, gosh. And I don't know what's happened in the last, you know, 15, 20 years since I was in, in school, but I'm so glad that you get to have that experience and have that community because I imagine the same as you, the first time I left Long Beach, I left uh, when I was 15 and I moved up to Sacramento to live with my mom's family. And I ended up going to a school that was kind of diverse, but more on the white side. And so suddenly I'm surrounded by white people when usually there was only five wherever I was at, you know? So it's just like the shock of, oh my gosh, what do I do with these people? Like, you know, that kind of thing was going on. So I imagine that culture shock hit pretty hard The because you may not have even realized it until you started walking around and you're like, how long has it been since I've seen someone that looks like me? Right. Um, so to have that space is, is great. Do you... Once you got, once you found it, mm-hmm. what was the process to get you sort of embedded and feeling comfortable to to participate in it? Right, I went to one of their events my like the end of freshman year, and I think I was just kind of like shy and quiet. I didn't really want to share, but um, I would say it was just more like uh, creating relationships with uh, the staff members and the other people part of the community getting to know people first helps me open up and Mm. let myself feel more like comfortable sharing my identity because it's, yeah, it's, it was pretty rare to find another mixed person in any of my classes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Whenever I was suspicious (laughs) that someone was mixed, I would, I would look at the, you know, I would try to like first like hope that we just like made eye contact and some kind of bond would happen. But then I would start to get to a place where I would, I would be like, are you like me? Do you have two different color parents? You know, like whatever the thing is, just to just to try to connect. So it's amazing that you that you had that. When did you cross over from being a participant to working for them? Um, I started being a participant my freshman year. Then sophomore year, um, in fall, I was like, I really like this organization. Like, I want to help out. So I applied to be a we call it a fellow, but it's basically an intern. And with that, I was able to help plan our mixed conference, which is where we invited mixed professors to come and talk. We had a bunch of mixed related events and it was all completely free. That was an amazing experience. And I think that work as like uh, as a fellow or like an intern helps me want to get like be hold a higher position, like do more. And so then uh, spring of my sophomore year, I applied to be a director and I, I got the spot. I was nice. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) At first, uh, I was a community development director and um, before the COVID-19 like halted school, I was able to create two events one being a mixed curly hair event, which provides... Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. That was uh, a workshop that kind of just like taught the... It just like uh, taught the basics of taking care of curly hair. We were able to give away some free product, which was amazing. Nice. And then I think the other one got canceled because of the 
fires, but that was planning on doing, it was a collaboration with another organization, a Middle Eastern group, and we were going to paint and uh, just like uh, build community with one another. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When these events started getting canceled, that that was a pretty rough hit. I was supposed to be speaking at another one of the UC campuses for their Mixed Heritage Festival and, oh. th- you know, it shut down. So we're mm-hmm. pushing to next year. But just knowing that they're existing and knowing that people are still trying to do something. And I'm so grateful to Berkeley that you're hosting a mixed month to have events despite this disconnect and us being, you know, forcing to be remote. It's it's a I think it's it's necessary to continue that community since we are so disconnected and at least it allows you to continue to try that organizational side. Is that something you want to do um, after, after you get out of university? Do you want to be in some sort of organizational type of advocacy? That's a really good question. Um, I'm not sure yet. I'm studying psychology right now. I'm really liking that, Mm. but I'm not too sure, but I'm really enjoying the work I'm doing with this group and it's persuading me to like open, uh, open possibilities and sure. Maybe try that out too. I mean, listen, there's so many ways for you to insert your mixedness into whatever you do. I work in HR outside of my podcast. And so a big part of my personal mission in my HR career has been hiring brown and black people, making sure that there is a higher ratio of women in the space than there are, you know, than there usually are. Because I, I tend to work in tech. I'm not right now. I'm at an elementary school. But before that, I was in tech and it's pretty much all white guys. Right. Uh, white guys and Indian guys and Chinese guys. Um, but, you know, not a whole lot of women and, and not a whole lot of other ethnic groups and things like that. So it was my personal mission. And whether or not the people that I worked for knew what I was doing, I was making sure that I was so, sorting through the resumes to find qualified brown and black people to make sure that they had a crack at interview slots. So there's ways in which if this speaks to you, if this advocacy speaks to you, and you end up in psychology, or you end up in another field, or STEM, or, or whatever it is that you end up doing, that there are ways to advocate for mixed folks and for black and brown people in general. Absolutely, that is going to be a possibility for you. Yes. Like, Thank you amazing. for sharing that. <laughs> yeah, so what in particular, <laughs> this is a good question for I think all of us right now, how are you in this time of working remote from school and everything like that, how are you connecting and finding your tribe, um, either through the, the organization or, or outside of that, since you're having to be stuck at home? Yes. Um, I, you know, I think a lot of my social interaction is honestly through this organization I've been working with. A big part of our summer work was trying to find freshmen that were mixed and were and um, they just recently got into or they recently got into Berkeley and we were just trying to find them and invite them to our community and that was a chore yeah, I bet <laughs> that was uh, a lot of looking through social media Facebook Instagram etc um it's been right because the university yeah. is like hey here's a whole bunch of the mixed students you know you you yeah. were having to kind of do Sherlock Holmes work to to hunt them down Yes, yes. You know, I really praise our team. Uh, we put in, we've really transitioned to become, um, do a lot of more like online social media programming. I don't know. Yeah, finding my mixed tribe has been 
difficult. <laughs> <laughs> right. When the, when the coronavirus shutdown started to happen, I was having just one of those days where I was like, I, I don't, I actually kind of thrive if I'm not around people very often, but I was getting to a point, it was starting to feel like really scary and we didn't know what was happening. So I started doing a social distancing hangout for militantly mixed listeners on Sundays. Pretty sure no one was going to show up. I was just going to be there and sit there in case somebody showed up. And the first time we did it, there were three people plus me. And then the next week it was like six or seven. And then the next it was like 12. And it kind of hovers between 12 and 15 every week, but we've kept it going ever since March. And let me tell you, just knowing that there is a space to see all these tiles with all these different mixed faces, you know, staring back at me every week really does help keep this like mission alive. You know, it's one thing to keep doing the show the way that I did before, which was going onto Facebook, looking for mixed people saying, hey, do you want to be on my show? Um, or listeners coming on, you know, because they because they listen to the show. But now just having a steady connection with a particular group of mixed people showing up every week really does help. And I think what you're doing at Berkeley and making that effort to try to find those students and help them feel connected, because how did you find it? Did you stumble across it? Did you see us like how do, do you remember how you discovered that there was that organization at Berkeley? Um, yes. So, um, at Berkeley, there's this place called Sprout Hall. It's where it's like you first walk into the campus and there's, um, that's usually where clubs and organizations advertise their own events. And I saw two of the directors from Mixed at Berkeley. I don't know if they're like, she looks mixed, like, let's take our chance. (laughs) (laughs) But they're like, here's a flyer to like our first event. It was called a mixed mixer. I'm like, this sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I uh, stumbled upon this organization. So, I mean, you were lucky to get, yeah, to have a moment like that. But for the students that are coming on this year in isolation like that, you know, that you've had to do the work, your organization has had to do the work to hunt them down and, and get them connected, I'm sure is really meaningful because they, they might have gone through their entire career at Berkeley, depending on how long we're stuck remote without getting to feel that sense of community. So right. I, I think now more than ever that being able to provide a space where you do feel like you, you know, you know where your people are um, really, really helps. So it's great. It's great that you're doing that. So besides the fact that you have beautiful curly hair, Ah. what was the motivation behind specifically having a curly hair event? Because I think that's, that's dope, especially through a a university. Thank you. So that was originally um, two of my other friends that are part of the organization. That was their idea. They watched this YouTube video, I believe, I'm not sure what country it was, but it was international. And this lady was helping young girls with curly hair learn how to do their hair and do gel. And I met them through this group. They both have curly hair. I have curly hair. (laughs) Uh, We linked together. We pitched the idea. And we were able to have the event. How, How big was the turnout? Um, so the first time we had, this is, or, uh, this is part of, we want to make it like a series. So we were oh, nice. to do this, like, hopefully like every year we'll have it. Right. But, um, the first time I would say maybe the turnout was 20 people. 
And then the second time, I believe it was 45 to 50. The oh pictures are really nice. <laughs> like it just shows you how important it is. People need to know how to take care of their hair. Yes. That's so great. Did you use specifically mixed products, like uh, products that were created, like mixed chicks or mixed Tina or anything like that? Or was it just other products in general? Me and my my two other friends, we're a big fan of Shea Moisture. It's, uh, yeah, Um, I personally haven't tried Mixed Chicks. I do want to give it a go. (laughs) I use Mixed Chicks for for shampoos, but I haven't used it for any styling stuff yet. Um, I'm probably going to have to start using that soon since I'm growing my hair out from my shave spot. But when I didn't have uh, the shaved head, I I didn't use product really that often. Um, But the shampoos are really nice. And you can tell like the change in, in not uh, like I didn't have to flat iron all the time. Cause I don't have, I don't have curly hair. I have hair that's really Japanese flat at the top. And then at the bottom, it starts to get wavy, but inconsistently. So it doesn't look like it's one of those things you just wash and wear and it, it looks okay. It dries looking funny. So I either have to uh, flat iron it or do something else with it. And I noticed when I started using mixed chicks, I didn't have to flat iron it hardly at all. Like it, t- it controlled um, the inconsistency, I guess, of my hair, which I thought was really, really nice. But I'm curious to see what its effects are on mix, uh, mixed folks with curly hair, because that's really what it was created for. But I, I was using the, the non-curly section. Um, so that's awesome. That, again, Another service that is like really needed that probably people wouldn't think we would have access to in a school environment, but what better place to do that because you have the people there just needing to know the information. So that's, that's amazing. Going forward, as you get through this, your third year and go into um, your senior year, what kind of things do you want to do within Mixness and this organization while you're at school still? Um, I think the biggest thing I want to do is work on building a community. Uh, it's, it's kind of interesting when you throw, like, let's say you have like a big room and you just throw in a bunch of people of different mixes and you just expect everybody to click. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes that's not the case. Sure. So I'm currently the retention director and okay. I have a partner too working with me, but, um, we're now in charge of working with our fellows or interns. So I think with direction, like I would like to do this semester, especially since everything is online, is um, making our meetings more discussion-based in an open forum and just providing a safe space where people can share their experiences. I feel like that's, uh, that's one of the best ways that I personally made connections to the other people that I met in this group. Right. Was um, talking about experiences and being like, oh my God, I experienced that as well. I'm not the only one. But yeah, that's what I really want to do this year is try to make bonds and uh, continually building community with, within this group. Uh, so what has being a member of this group done in terms of your own personal story? Like as, as you think about your Louisiana Creoleness or the fact that you have an indigenous background that you don't have access to um, and your white side, what, if anything, has being a part of a member of this organization done to help you kind of investigate and inform yourself about your own feelings around your mixedness? Right. Um, definitely, this group has made me feel, I would say it's definitely made me feel more proud of my mixed identity. I, for like the first time since 
like the beginning of my life. I don't have to explain myself. People just understand, which is great. Yeah. Before, I feel like I probably wasn't as comfortable talking about um, my mom's side because she comes from a white background. But hearing others that have a similar experience, you know, maybe like a black dad, a white mom, or wherever, you know, mm-hmm. I feel more comfortable kind of like exploring uh, that side of myself. Before, I'd mostly just focus on my dad's side and um, his career culture. I would never talk about my mom's side. So it really opened my eyes to examine how that kind of affected me growing up as well. Sure. Mm-hmm. Did you talk a lot about race growing up with, with your family? Was there any kind of an attempt to be like, you come from two different cultures and people and things like that? Um, there never really was any of those discussions. I was just told, you're Creole. <laughs> And I'm like, okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm proud <Yeah>. <laughs> cool. yeah. Does your mom show any signs of, of feeling like any kind of way about e- your family being more closely identified with the Creole side? Um, no, she just really embraces that side too. Oh, okay. Yeah. It, do you think that might be a product of her transracial identity or, or just? Um, I think, well, her side of the family, there's... Uh, her side of the family is really small. It's just uh, her parents. She has two brothers. I have no cousins on that side of the family at all. Oh, wow. wow. If she didn't have me and um, my siblings, that, you know, that line of the family would be completely gone. Oh, wow. Well, I think uh, because my dad's side of the family is so big and um, she just kind of like adopted uh, maybe more like what they do, mm-hmm. grown closer bonds to his side of the family rather than uh, her side of it, you know, so small. <laughs> mm. Have you talked to them at all about what the experience has been like being involved in a mixed organization and, and what that's done for you? Yes, they know about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're very proud of me. Yeah. Um, my dad's side of the family, uh, I have some family um, up north near Berkeley, and I, I would invite them to some of our events, and they'd just be so happy to see me doing this mixed work. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's, so, it's so strange, because once you get involved in, in doing this and having an excuse to, to connect to more mixed people on a regular basis, you, that's when you realize advocacy is an, op, is an option for us. That, you know, other than that, you know, we live in our isolation with whoever we know in our family, and, and we're just wandering around being mixed and and different from the people around us. But with this opportunity that we now have, either through mixed organizations at school or through conferences or, you know, podcasting, like what I'm doing, I feel that that sense of this is the time where we can actually empower our people to communicate with the future generation, because I, no one told me what was going on, you know, besides, like, I understood that my parents were different colors and I understood that racism existed. And part of that was because my parents were different colors. And that was the end, you know, it wasn't about like who I was going to be and who I identified with and, and was I ever going to feel welcome in any particular space? You know, it sounds like from your experience with the the Louisiana Creole side that there's just an embracing of, of, of that within your family and your family's so large that you didn't have to feel like you were in isolation because just because you grew up around, you know, maybe some white kids and other diverse kids in Long Beach didn't mean that you couldn't connect to your culture and feel grounded in it, uh, Mm -hmm. which I think is, is pretty great that you had that. 
but if you were in isolation and you were a solo kid or anything like that, mm-hmm. we now have opportunities to to be helpful to to kids that grew up like that. And I think that that is wonderful work. We did talk a little bit before we got started, kind of about wanting to talk a little bit more about the Louisiana Creole side and 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 how unusual it seems to people outside of the South and outside of Louisiana. Yes. When you tell people what you are, what is the reaction that you get? Uh, well, first of all, they're like, hmm, you look different. What are you? Mm-hmm. And the famous I'm, question. The famous question, exactly. Every mixed person has experienced that question. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so I try to explain to them. So first I'll say, I'm Louisiana Creole. And then they'll say, what is that? <laughs> 95%, like 95 out of like 100 times, like, they'll say, what is that? Mm-hmm. So then I'll say, um, it's a culture. <laughs> it's an identity. And it's a way of life. Um, to be really, like, to really simplify it, it's mixed black people from Louisiana. <laughs> right. Right. That's, like, that's usually how I explain it. Mm-hmm. When you travel around, do people identify you differently, depending on where you're um, at? Yes. <laughs> yeah. It also depends on how I do my hair. I feel mm-hmm. like when my hair is down, it's big and it's curly. People think I'm, they probably think, or I've been told that they think that I'm either Blasian or that I'm black and white. Mm. But let's say um, I straighten my hair, then I look Latino. Really? Um, when, you're sh- when your hair's straight, you get Latino? Yeah. More? Well, That's interesting. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess I get it because my skin's tan. I mean, it's kind of pale right now. I've been inside too long. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, but, um, That's I've been, funny. Because mm-hmm. when uh, my hair curly, I get Latin more often. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. But also when I'm on the East Coast, I get it more, like, more often. I get Dominican or Puerto Rican more often, where here I'll get, like, Filipino. Oh, okay. sometimes Mexican if my hair is curly. Oh, so it's interesting how we can have a, a diff, the opposite reaction yeah. from people just by looking at us all based off of the same hair, potentially the same <laughs> hairstyle if we had it. That's interesting. Yes. So as you're, as you're walking around being asked the question and everything like that, what are you feeling? Do you, are you triggered by the question? Are you welcoming of the question? What does it do to you? Um... I've kind of like gone, I think I've had like both experiences. I think Mm -hmm. growing up, I thought that being mixed was special and I was very proud of it. And I still think that is special and I'm Mm -hmm. still proud of it. But I, I embraced the question more. I was, I felt like I was kind of of like showing off like, hey, look at me, I'm mixed. (laughs) I feel like um, now I'm so sorry for you and your poor little (laughs) monoracial self. I'm mixed. (laughs) Exactly. Um, uh, I was taking some, I remember my first year I took African-American studies classes and I took ethnic studies classes. And in those classes, I was exposed to the topic of race and a lot of different negative, uh, negative, I don't like history of it and just like the effects of it. Mm-hmm. And I think in that moment, when someone asked me what I am, I felt triggered. I didn't really right. want to have to explain myself. Right. I'm like, this is just who I am. I'm like, race, why does it matter? It's not even real. We just made that up. 
Right. Um, and when we're kind of more ambiguous presenting, like you and I are, we're not like, <laughs> yeah. a phenotype doesn't tell the story right away. Right. So exactly. race is a really hard thing to wrap your head around when you look like us, because we, yeah. we can't check a race box. We can check an ethnicity box. Right. And if you throw in a cultural box, that's going to make it even <laughs> easier for us. Um, but yeah, I, that period of time when you're going through that is very triggering too, because you're just like, one other area in which I don't have a, a space to exist. I don't have this box to check right. if that's important. Right. So it makes sense that you would have those feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, then I would say finding this organization where uh, everybody was mixed. Um, everybody was open about talking about their experiences. That's when I wasn't angry being asked that question anymore. <laughs> I felt, uh, I felt, I mean, I still, I felt, I mean, I've always feel proud about my mixed identity, mm-hmm. but that I think I was more like understanding because even though our community is growing, it's still a very small population on campus. Right. And um, I think I just had like a realization that, I do look ambiguous. We live in a society in which race is significant, and it's one of the first things that we think about when we look at somebody. So um, now I don't really mind being asked what I am because uh, I understand, you know, that's that's something that I probably will always have to deal with. Um, I'm very proud of my identity, and I don't mind sharing it to other people. And most of the time, people will learn about Louisiana Creole. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe they'll Google something afterwards. That's true. Right. Um, I know it, it's a weird thing. It can be a very triggering question or an empowering question, depending on the asker, mm-hmm. depending on the tone when they ask, right. and depending on the environment. I find if Black people ask me, um, it's usually with some kind of loving connotation like what what else they got in you like they're acknowledging my blackness but what else is in there uh whereas white people it tends to be like either the really gross you're so exotic looking where are you from Mm -hmm. no where are you really from no but no but where are your grandparents from you know that kind of thing uh which is annoying as hell and then there is the version of it of where you see it in judgment and this kind of like i can't i can't distinguish what you are what are you asians don't tend to ask me or they'll assume I'm Filipino, even if they're Japanese, like they don't see that I'm oh, Japanese. No. And then if I turn around and say I'm Japanese, it's like, oh, that's cute that you think that. Um, because they're not a culture that mixing is welcomed in. So it's, it's you know, you don't get to be Japanese if you're, if you're mixed in that respect. So it happens. Like, it's a strange little thing that happens. And then Dominicans will be like, aren't you proud that you look Dominican? <laughs> you should be more proud. So it just depends. Like you can be really embraced and really like um, empowered by the question, depending on the asker or depending on the environment. I definitely like it better when it comes from another mixed person Um, because it's like, I'm mixed. I'm this. What are you? Like there seems to be like this kind of excitement in the bond between us. So it's interesting. I'm, I'm always curious about how the question impacts people because depending on what you're going through in your life, it can be totally different answers every time. Uh, We are coming a little bit close to the end. So what I like to ask all of my guests, what do you love most about being mixed? I'd say what I love most about being mixed is my family. (laughs) I come from a big mixed family. They've shown me so much love. 
Um, I have so many relationships and bonds. They've made me feel so proud of myself, of my culture, and of my identity. So my mixed family is the best thing I love about being mixed. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm not, I haven't specifically gotten that answer before. I've had oh, really? elements of it, but, but that being the biggest part is, is great. I really appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and talking about it. This is always a space that once you become a guest on the show, you are now one of the cousins of the Militantly Mixed family. Uh, so you're always welcome back if you ever want to talk more about your own mixedness or being mixed in general. Uh, but why don't you tell everybody how to find Mix at Berkeley? Let everybody know how they can do that. Thank you so much for having me on your show and listening to my mixed stories and my experiences. I really appreciate it. You can find Mixed at Berkeley on Instagram and Facebook. We also have a website. Everything is at Mixed at Berkeley. And the website actually has a lot of external resources, too, mm -hmm. kind of listed on there as well. So it's a really, um, even for a non-student, it, it can be a helpful resource. Yes, as thank well. you. Yeah. Thank you, Sage, for coming on Militantly Mixed and involving me in the Mixed at Berkeley's Mixed Month for October. I really appreciate you and what y'all are doing at the organization. And to all you mixed-identified students out there, don't forget to be your mixed-ass selves. Peace, y'all. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, The One. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.